Welcome back to Nightmare Fuel. They called him Man Pig because of the ghastly snout-like cleft in his chin and a chronic lung disease that left him with a raspy voice, which tumbled out of his mouth as grunts and squeals, like a pig. Naturally, it wasn't exactly a term of endearment. See, Man Pig and I were together in school, and so I was a personal witness to the hell that he was put through by other kids. It wasn't strange to see flocks of mean teenagers buzzing around him, stripping away at his dignity like woodpeckers with their nasty barbs. And that was when he wasn't busy getting his already unappealing face rearranged by others, all simply for being who he was. Can you imagine what that's like? To have violence heaped on you for simply existing? To be used as a stepping stone for someone looking to climb the social ladder? Things weren't better at home for him either. A mother who was addicted to meth and an abusive alcoholic father made up his family. And I'm using that term very loosely here. It wasn't a surprise to any of us who knew him that he couldn't make much of his life at all. In fact, it was a damn near miracle that he survived decades of abuse and turned into the kind-hearted man people eventually came to know him as. Years after the rest of us had graduated, gone to college, and or moved on with our lives, Man Pig chose to go back to our high school to work as a janitor. He chose to shuffle through and clean the same hallways that had so tormented him. Maybe he was trying to exercise old demons. I don't know. What I do know is that he happened to be there when my son was going through the most difficult period in his life. It was a cruel twist of irony that my son ended up facing the exact same sort of bullying that I had been a mute spectator to back in my own youth. And that, too, by the children of the very same people who had harassed Manpig back in the day. Just a vicious circle of rage and hatred. I was forced to contend with the same apathetic attitudes I myself had embraced all those years ago. Forced to rage against the same ineffective institutions that had turned a blind eye to Manpig's abuse. Day after day of running around helplessly, trying to put an end to my son's bullying, made me finally understand just how deep the rot was in our community. Yet I couldn't do anything but watch the spark go out of my son's eyes as he turned into an empty husk, a pale shadow of the bright stream of sunlight he used to be in my life. Believe me, I tried everything I could to bring the torment to an end. I approached the school authorities, his teachers, the school counselor, the principal, but to no avail. They fed me platitudes, assured me it would stop, but it never did. I spoke to the parents of the four boys who were the worst of them all, pleaded, threatened to call the police, but it only ended up making things worse. My son started hiding his cuts and bruises. My efforts to help him had resulted in him pulling away from me. Manpig was a godsend at a time like this. He lent an ear to my son when he needed a confidant the most. Perhaps it was due to the fact that Manpig had been through the same shit he was now going through but my son found it easy to open up to him. To this day, I think those conversations were a major part of my son not taking a disastrous step. They bonded well, and my son came to look at Man Pig as an uncle-like figure, who in turn completely broke down when my son's torment was escalated one last time. I was in office when I got the call that day. 
I remember how the coffee mug dropped from my hands and crashed on the floor, some of its shattered pieces bouncing off the tiles and landing on my shoe. I remember being in a daze as I walked out of the building, got into my car, and drove to the beginning of the bike trail in the woods behind the school, now cordoned off by yellow tapes. I remember shoving aside uniformed police officers and retching when I finally saw him. How broken and bloodied he looked. How his skull had caved in at a point. I still have nightmares about my son's body lying in the dirt track out in the woods. We all know who did it, but knowing something isn't the same as proving it in court. And besides, those four were kids. Juveniles. Even if they were to get convicted, the justice system would just spit them back out on the streets in a couple of years. No, justice needed to be served here, and it wasn't coming from the varnished furnishings of a courtroom. Things needed a medieval touch. Once again, it was Manpig who swooped down like an angel and saved me from doing something irreversible. If it hadn't been for him, I would be rotting in some dank prison cell right now. He showed up at my house two days after my son was killed, crying and blubbering in his usual grunts and squeals. Uh... I'm so sorry, he wheezed his chest, getting racked with sobs and hiccups. I couldn't help him. He whistled a breath out of a blocked nostril. I should have been there, should have stopped them. I wiped tears off my eyes and let him in. We talked about my son over a bottle of liquor and through the haze of cigarette smoke, quickly hatching a plan for revenge. No, justice. We hunted them down one by one, under the cover of darkness, through the shadows. We moved like death incarnate, stalking our prey. Once again, I could not have done this alone. Creating alibis, picking the right tools, cutting through chain-link fences, getting rid of blood-soaked clothes. Man-pig guided me through it all, even when I was quaking in fear in my car, vomit stuck in my throat, wondering whether I had it in me to do it or not. He was there, right beside me patting my back and whispering that I could do it. For my son, for my boy, lost to the abyss far before his time. By the fourth one, I was pretty used to it all. The sound of the golf club hitting the back of the kid's head, how my muscles stretched with each swing, the mist of blood and brain matter swirling in the air, the eyes rolling back up into the skull, the way their knees buckle as they collapse onto the ground. I felt nothing. Fear, sadness, elation. Nothing. Just glad that it was done. Over. Little did I know that a lifetime of nightmares was just about to start. He walked into the precinct and just confessed. The reporter's voice blared through the TV. The infamous local serial killer, responsible for the murder of multiple kids. I felt a lump in my throat. Manpig's grainy face was plastered on the screen a hideous, monstrous thing. A breath escaped my lungs. He'd done it. He'd taken the fall. One last gift for the father of the boy he'd cared for. He knew that the cops won't stop hunting, knew that we weren't perfect criminals and that sooner or later we'd be caught. So he took it upon himself to put a stop to that bleak future by sacrificing himself. Or at least that's what I thought. Pictures of the victims started flashing on the TV. Five of them including my son. My head swooned and I almost blacked out. I grabbed my car keys off the counter and ran out the door, each stride sending a knife through my heart. Slipping into the driver's seat, fumbling with the keys with sweat soaking my clothes, I tried to make sense of what I had just seen. 
Surely there was a mistake. Surely they'd gotten it wrong or were trying to pin my son's murder on him as well, to tie up loose ends with a pretty little bow. They let me meet him, a cramped, cold, dimly lit cell. He stood up when he saw me, walked towards the thick bars, wrapped his bony hands around them. A noise erupted from his throat, a grotesque mixture of grunts and squeals, exactly like the one he'd made when he first saw me after my son's death. And that's when I understood what that sound actually meant, that when he met me that day, he wasn't crying. No, he was laughing at me. 